And welcome to the very first inaugural podcast of Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook. Pleased to meet you. And we've got the Indian. Keith Nobles. Keith Nobles. Keith, and you actually are an Indian. I am. You're a Cherokee. I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. <laughs> and uh, I am not actually a cowgirl. I think, <laughs> I think the, the closest claim that I have to actually being a cowgirl is that I own a bunch of land out on the Wyoming prairie and, yeah. and I have chickens, but chicken girl doesn't have quite the same ring to it. You work your way up to cows. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. This podcast, this is the first episode. And Keith, I, I think first I want to start with talking about why we're doing this. I mean, what is it that, that you're seeing in the world that impelled you to say yes when I asked you to sit down and, and record a podcast with me? What do you think? I think I see what most everybody sees. Things are out of control. Yeah. Things are disassociated from reality. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's kind of where we're at here. Right. As, as a country, as a culture. Other countries are looking to take advantage of that. And uh, it's going to be a more dangerous world and a more difficult world. And things we took for granted to be normal as part of the United States of America are looking less normal these days. Oh, I'd have to agree with that. And, and I mean, it just, as you said, it's disassociated from reality. Yes. And, and that's, you know, we're looking at that, that disassociation, which makes those of us who live in the rational real world look around and go, what is going on? I yes. mean, this, it, it just, I mean, it almost makes you feel like you're yourself. You're, you're disassociated from reality. You, you, you watch these people say these things that come out of their mouths. It's like, that's not even remotely re connected to, to, you know, the, the phenomenon that we're seeing. It's not remotely connected mm. to, to actual data or truth or, or any of that. No, it, it's, uh, it's epidemic at this point. It's not just politicians. It's not just the media. It's not just celebrities. It's regular people who say and believe things that there's, there's simply no objective evidence or data to support what they believe. This is true. And, and they do it because generally, while well, politicians, media, celebrities may do it for one reason, but most regular people embrace this, uh, I think, because they expect their friends to approve of it. I think that's a, a significant portion of it. Okay. Especially with uh, millennials and younger. And the other part is they think it gives them some sort of advantage, even though it is just disassociated from reality. Yeah, but it's it's somehow become the accepted narrative. And and you know, social peer pressure and all those kinds of things, you know, that, that pushes yeah. a lot of people into it. But I've got another reason why I wanted to do this too. Because Aside from, from having the opportunity to point out how they are disassociated from reality and, and being able to put that out in a podcast and, you know, gather all kinds of death threats and creepers online and that kind of thing, you know, because that's always fun. Yes. You know, we, we definitely, you know, like to engage in that kind of stuff. But the other, the other thing that I see, the problem that I see is that as you're watching the news, it, it's uh, to me, and, and I use this phrase a lot, it feels like you're playing whack-a-mole. A lot of times because, you know, the Democrats will come up with you know this thing and they'll come up with this other thing. And and, you know, they're all over the place. And it's like, how do you even remotely anticipate the next move? You know, I mean, it's just like and, and whack-a-mole, of course, if you've ever played it in Chuck E. Cheese or, or you know, wherever uh, Dave and Buster's, uh, it's a losing game. There is no way you can win yeah. at, at whack-a-mole. I believe... And, and the more that I study and the more that I watch, the more I believe that there is indeed, for want of a better phrase, a method to their madness. 
there is an underlying framework that not only can help explain the things that we see in the news, uh, even in history, you know, and that kind of sure. thing, but but especially in the current times, can help us to anticipate what the next move is to some degree and prepare ourselves tactically to be able to answer it intelligently and to the advantage of the truth and, and to the advantage of you know, actual reality that all of us have to live in rather than watching our country and our planet basically spiral down the drain, helpless to do anything about it. So that's, that's part of what I wanted to bring into this. That's part of what I'm wanting to explore with you. And, you know, just, just to see if, if we can flesh out that framework and measure it against actual results. And as we go through this podcast, as we get more episodes and see, are we on the right track? Are we on the wrong track? You know, is there something that we're missing here and, and be able to, to flesh out that framework? Sound good? Yes. Awesome. <laughs> so I guess the next question that the listeners probably have is, who in the hell are you guys to talk about this stuff? <laughs> so a little introduction. Why don't, you, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and you know, why you're part of this, why, why they should listen to the things that you have to say? Well, I'm part of it because you asked me. Well, <laughs> and I bribed you with beer. <laughs> you bribed me with beer. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> I think you and I both have this common interest in seeing people do well and people thrive. And we are most certainly on the path of not seeing people do well and thrive. That's true. And we would really like to puzzle out and be able to explain to people, not just why this is, but what we can do about it. What have, we, what have people done in the past? Because this isn't the first time we've been here. It's not even the first time we've been here as the United States. Sure. And uh, we've been in much more dire positions than this before. And uh, we, we came out of it. And I'm confident. I'm optimistic we will come out of this, but it will probably be with a pretty good amount of pain because bad ideas always produce pain. Isn't that true? That, that is. And, you know, the, the one thing we have really going for us here is uh, most of these ideas really suck. <laughs> and, <laughs> really do. <laughs> and they are producing pain and they will continue to produce ever more pain. And people are going to go, this is just stupid. Right. Let's do something else. And fortunately, there's all kinds of history of all kinds of roadmaps for what that something else should be that, that gets you out of this. Right. Well, we, we do have a lot of historical references to you're more optimistic about the current situation than I am. Yeah. I mean, you, you really are. But but you're right. When pain is sufficient, change will come. Yes. And that's that's a truism that I've never seen proven wrong. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just how the world works. It is. It is. It has, it's how the human psyche works. Yeah. And so it's something that we pretty much count on uh, over the centuries, over the millennia. You can see repeats of that happening over and over and over again, right? Yeah. Well, and there's something really unique about the United States. When we have gone through this pain, we have historically expanded freedom and decentralized power. And that's what we'll do here eventually when okay. the pain gets great enough, because that's how you alleviate the pain. I mean, we have this pain because we have a group of people who genuinely, sincerely believe they know how everyone should live. And they are trying to compel, coerce, force people into fitting that model. And that model is, is a bad idea. It's always been a bad idea. Right. And so we will come out of that. And people will realize the, the way to alleviate the pain is that yeah, you decentralize and you disempower these people. Right. Yeah. 
Does that require giving up on, and I'm putting this in air quotes, utopia? As, I mean, is, is let me ask that question a different way. Are they trying to achieve utopia? You, I mean, you said that yes. they have good intentions, you know, here. Is that is that what they're trying to achieve? No, they're trying to achieve utopia. And each time they try to achieve utopia, what they produce is hell. <laughs> so what people are giving up on ultimately is not the utopia. They're giving up on the hell. Yeah. Right? We, we already see that. You know, I've written... Many times. We are coming to probably the end of probably what was the best 30 years of human existence. Right. right. Since the Soviet Union collapsed, we have reduced global poverty over the last 30 years by 75% by removing communism from the scene. Right. Right. We have expanded out some form of representative government, some basic human rights to probably half a billion people who didn't have that. 30 years ago, right? I mean, we have gone through 30 years of really, yes, we fought a lot of wars. First Gulf War, Iraq, Afghanistan, war on terror. It hasn't, but, it hasn't been completely but, a rose garden. But. Yeah, but we have not been sitting there with uh, two countries facing each other down with their fingers on the nuclear trigger. Right. Right. So we, we, this really has been arguably the best 30 years in human history. And if people can't recognize that, and the people think this is horrible, is just a, a sign of our, sometimes societies just collectively go insane. Oh. And that's a sign of that insanity. Right. That people think this is horrible when, when they're living through what is probably the best time anybody's ever lived in the history of the earth. Let me defend them um, just a little bit. A lot, of, a lot of this is coming, a lot of the energy behind this movement, not necessarily leadership, but a lot of the energy behind what we see on the left is coming from millennials who have no point of reference. None. I mean, they're, they're under 30. They, they have no idea what it was like to hide under your desk during cold war drills, you know, yeah. which is which <laughs> didn't realize at the age of six would do absolutely nothing if we were hit by a nuclear weapon. But, you know, those desks, you know, I mean, they, they were, were sturdy. They were sturdy. They were definitely sturdy. They have no idea about stagflation and the, the gas lines in the 1970s. They've never seen no. anything like that. No, they have no idea about things like gulags. Exactly. They have no idea. They don't remember what happened in Southeast Asia after Saigon fell. Right. They don't remember Pol Pot. They don't remember. And they're not being taught all that stuff. No, they're not being taught any of this stuff. Right. And, and that's part of the problem. Because so much of what they're promoting philosophically and ideologically roots to these sources, communism, Marxism, fascism, Nazism, progressivism, they all spring from the same philosophical and ideological roots. They're all just different strategies to try to attain that utopia. Right. And each time it fails, the next group says, oh, it only failed because they did it wrong. Those guys were in charge and they, didn't, they wouldn't do it as well as I would do it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and these things have failed fascism, Nazism, communism. They have failed so disastrously that they no longer want to even be linked to those right. people. So now they call it socialism. Well, it's not communism. They call it progressivism. They call it progressivism. Right? They call know. it progressivism because we're progressive. We want to move forward. <laughs> um, but yeah, this all roots, it all the same philosophical, ideological roots. There are right. just different strategies to try and attain that, that philosophical utopia. So, so I think that part of what this podcast is going to be is exploring those roots yes. and, and talking about how they apply and, and the 
the manifestations that we're seeing in our culture today, uh, you know, worldwide here in the U.S., um, you know, in the course of, of politics in, in Washington, D.C. and in our state capitals and, you know, just watching how it goes. You know, yes. I mean, this and, and pointing out that this is all part of that. Yes. Idea. Yes. And this is how it manifests in these different these different areas. Yeah. I mean, this has a definite track record. <laughs> through history <laughs> of how how what it produces. It's never happiness. It's always misery, poverty, and death. And these ideas, how they attempt to implement these ideas is remarkably consistent over the last 150 years. There's not a lot of variation. No. It's just words they use, maybe. Yeah. yeah but yeah, it's it's pretty consistent. We we can trace what we have now in this country with progressivism, really back the new left at Berkeley, nineteen fifty nine, and uh, that's really what we're living is what they what that's they what, launched, what they launched, but it's also what the German philosophers in the late nineteenth century launched, which yes. is also what Rousseau launched, which is also and, and the yes. French Revolution, which is also what Plato launched. Honestly, if we go, we want to go all the way back, right. you know, and and his philosopher Kings and the idea that you know some of us are more equal than. Others. Well, exactly. That's the idea. Right. And on the flip side, yeah, you have this thing that vaguely gets called liberty. But it's really the idea that we're all created equal. Right. That's that's what it is. Not that, that was the what, same. We're created, we created equal. equal. Yes. In that we are all created with the same rights inherent to our existence. Exactly. And this is why the Declaration of Independence changed the world. Because right. That's exactly what it said. And so we have this struggle with human nature, our own human nature, to be able to implement that. And it's never been a linear line right. to implement that. Well, we're failed creatures. I mean, it's, we're, we're, we're fallible. Yes. And, and it's, it's recognition of that. And yes. the recognition of that is built into our systems. I mean, it's built into you know, the checks and balances in the Constitution and you know, guarding against you know, yes. our, our own human nature which is the founding of the American Revolution, really, right. in contrast to the French. Well, exactly. And you have this progressive idea that denies that everyone is created equal. That's, that's the essence of progressivism. Okay. That is government that will make you all equal. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the gist of it, right? That we can okay. create this utopia via government force, coercion, I'm going to push back on that. I mean, force, yes. Um, whether or not that that appears in government or not, because I mean, some of the some of the people throughout history who've pushed this idea have been anarchists who don't believe in any, if, you know, any government institution. They don't believe in any institutions at all. They they believe that the institutions are what corrupts our nature, not that we are corrupted, tragic humans to yes. begin with. They yeah, and, the institutions. And my counter to that, whenever I meet an anarchist, is there's only been two times in history anarchists actually held government power, and both times they committed mass murder. <laughs> So <laughs> please explain. And I understand philosophically why they believe that. But we could go into this in great depth at some point. Anarchists share a family with progressives, Nazis, socialists, etc. Very much so. In that there is no practical way into their system to dissent. Right. So the only thing you can do with those who dissent is make them not dissent by force. <laughs> and that's what the anarchists have done. Everybody as much as communists, Nazis, etc. On those rare exceptions when they've held government power. Well, there's no room. And I'm going to, I'm going to state this as an absolutism and then get a whole bunch of pushback on it, but there is no room for the individual. The individual is actually irrelevant yes. in the progressive left's view. The, the coat, uh, the 
meaningful unit is society. Yes. It is not the family. It is not the church. It is not the tribe. It is not the individual for sure. Uh, it is the society, uh, yes. this, this abstraction that they want to perfect. And so anybody they have to run over to get to that perfect society is it's just collateral damage, yeah. you know? Yeah, it is. Who, who at this point or what at this point does it matter? You know, I mean, it's, it's that kind yes. of an idea. Just like truth doesn't matter. Right. Reality doesn't matter. Right. Right. Misery doesn't matter. Because Poverty doesn't malleable. matter. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that matters is, yeah, we can acquire the power to implement our vision. Right. That's, I mean, when you really want to understand progressivism, that's really what, what you're understanding. Right. I uh, drove... Back here from another state this morning for about two and a half hours, <laughs> listening to the news. And most of that was a series of politicians, talking heads, et cetera. Sure. Saying this and that and this and that and this and that. And you're just listening going, well, but that's not true. That's not true. You said something different six months ago. And, <laughs> you know. The difference between you and me is that you think it. I actually yell it at the radio. <laughs> <laughs> No, I just said I just said thank you. I listened to it and go, but but that's just not true, right? And and uh, yeah, and so we we've created this and, and part of this. Uh, I was going to mention this poll seventy nine. That was a poll done October thirtieth, I believe. CBS YouGov poll. Seventy nine percent of Americans believe the country is out of control, right? And it's pretty easy to see why, right? Because if what you're living in, we have had really just over a century now of not linear, but generally increasingly more progressive views of government and society. Right. More government, more control, more forcing people to believe what so-called experts believe you should believe, right? These are all these so-called experts say you should do. Yes, all these sorts of things. And really a uh, denial of objective truth, objective reality in favor of these narratives. And you you understand government now has got to be so important in our lives. Government was never intended to be this important. Oh, government should not be important to your daily life, to your happiness, to your fulfillment. It, it shouldn't be shouldn't be critical to any of that. Exactly. But we have created a situation now. Everybody's waiting to see what the government's going to do. What's the Federal Reserve going to do? To see you know, what our future is going to be for the next week or the next month or the next year. It's crazy. At the same time, these same people who we've made so incredibly powerful are just spewing bullshit. <laughs> they just go on the news and say things that are just not true. Just whatever they need to say to the proletariat to, to you know, make sure that we don't you know, rise up in the streets. And that's 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 basically the criteria for their speech. It's, yeah. it's just whatever you, whatever they think we want to hear. Yes. And honestly, I'd like to hear the truth. Yes. I'd also like to hear that you're getting that hell out of my business. That's that's really what I'd like to hear. Those yeah. are the things that I'd like to hear. But yeah. that's maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, I, I, we, we, have, we have these rising rates. We have rising suicide rates. We have rising mental illness rates. And we look at this, we can't, it seems pretty easy. You can associate these things together. <laughs> correlation is not causation. No, correlation <laughs> is not causation. 
But if you look and you go, what causes human beings to thrive, be successful, be fulfilled? It's obviously not this. Right. We have pretty solid evidence that this isn't it. And, yeah. and the only solution these people have to give us is, well, we just haven't done enough of it yet. Right. 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 We haven't made you poor enough and we haven't taken away enough of your speech rights. And we haven't told you enough that, you know, clinging to guns and Bibles is bad. And, you know, we haven't we haven't done that enough. Let's do that some more. No, exactly. That's that's literally that is their argument. We just haven't done it enough. Right. Which was the argument the Soviets made. Arguments in some ways the Nazis made. Arguments fascists made. Arguments Castro made. Mm-hmm. Arguments Franco made. I mean, we go on and on and on down the list of people who embraced these philosophies and said, well, we just haven't done enough of it. Right. FDR, the New Deal. Well, it's not working because we just haven't done enough of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's like, well, stop. Maybe this is just a bad idea. Right. Maybe this just doesn't work. That would be my first thought. Let's reconsider whether or not there is a correlative connection here. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we ought to put the brakes on this, but what do I know? I'm not an expert, right? <laughs> so therefore, I'm not qualified to make decisions for my own life. Certainly. You know, but they're qualified to make decisions for all of us. Yeah, exactly. I, I, that's what I keep getting. I, I'm sounding like I get on a soapbox right now. But I mean, that's really kind of what it boils down to, isn't it? I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of the baseline. It ought to be the baseline American viewpoint, right? Yes. Is, are you staying out of my life? And are you staying out of my pocketbook? And are you staying out of my kids, you know, my kids' education? And if the answer to any of those three is no, you're out of here. Yeah. I mean, that ought to be the baseline. And it's not. Right. It's not. Yeah. People have, have turned to, to decide that... Yes, the U.S. government or any government ought to be making decisions for them, that they are not capable of making decisions for themselves. Maybe I don't make very good decisions. I was thinking about this in the shower this morning, actually. I was like, I mean, are, are people actually thinking I'm not good enough at making decisions for my own life? I want an expert. I want the government to tell me what to do. I mean, it's probably not that explicit, I hope. But I, I think it is explicit in a lot of ways. You think? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I really do. That they're just not capable of you know, saving for retirement or well, you know, deciding what their kids ought to be learning. I think a lot of people have been convinced that they're not that capable. I think that's really yeah. it. They've been convinced they are not capable. Boy, that's sad. It's very sad. It's, it's incredibly sad. The victim mentality and all that. There's, you know, saying it's kind of cliched at this point, but hard men's hard times create good men. Good men create easy times. Easy times create soft men. Soft men create hard times. I think we're in that stage. Yes, that's that political fourth turning. Yeah, yeah, we are. Yeah, I think we're pretty close to the end of it, which is the reason part of the reason I'm optimistic. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me about this optimism because I, I sure could use some hope right now. Well, this 79% of the people think this country's out of control. I mean, that's a horrible thing, but I'm optimistic about it because it won't remain there. It just won't remain there. Well, no. People don't want to live in that kind of an environment. But split up between Democrats and Republicans in that poll. of the Democrats think it's out of control. Over 82% of Republicans think it's out of control. I have a feeling there's a difference between what Democrats think is out of control and Republicans think is out of control. That is probably true. Okay. But that they both think it's out of control. Well, but then the solution, so if they both think it's out of control, then the solution is to get it back under control. What does that look like for Democrats versus what does that look like for Republicans? That's the part that scares me. Yeah. And I don't even know if we frame it as Republican or Democrat. I think people of the progressive mind 
set think that what brings it back under control is a more authoritarian system. Exactly. Where everybody is compelled to hold the same values. Exactly. Everybody is compelled to be more or less materially equal and where everybody will basically knuckle in and out that same vision. Right. The, 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 I, I think that's what they're looking for. Yeah, yeah. that's what they want. They never succeed. <laughs> that's the thing. This is why I'm optimistic, because they never succeed, because they cannot succeed at that. They can't succeed at that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the entire thing is premised upon ignoring human nature. Well, and that's where we keep coming back to, I mean, it, which means it ignores reality. It ignores reality. Right. As opposed to the other vision, which is, OK, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have a government. And the role of the government would be to protect your property and protect your rights because you were born, you were created with these rights inherent to your existence. Right. Right. You have the right to think what you want to think and say what you want to say. Right. And as long as you don't hurt anybody, you don't violate other people's property or rights, you can do what you want to do. Right. It's almost libertarian. Yeah. <laughs> well, but that's that's <laughs> you know, that's that's really yeah, the idea there, right? Right. And so there's a lot of valid debates to be had on what actually constitutes protecting rights and property and things like that. And that's okay. Let's go have those debates. Right. But the progressive view is not that. The progressive view is based on knuckle under. Right. Do what we think you should do. <laughs> if that changes tomorrow, so sad. <laughs> right. And that's what we've seen. Right. Right. Just the last 10 years. How many, I mean, how many times you see Barack Obama is running for president go, I believe marriage is a man and a woman. Well, right. No, he doesn't. No, yeah. exactly. No, they don't. Hillary Clinton. Yeah. All, they, they all said that yeah. until they didn't. Until they didn't. Yeah. Right. And, and that's just a, an obvious example. Right. And it's not a commentary on should there be or not be gay marriage. It's a commentary on the fact that none of these people will tell you the truth. They just tell you again what they think you want to hear. <laughs> they, they tell Fetterman. you, yeah, they tell you what they think will bring them power. Fetterman, who's, who's the, the candidate in Pennsylvania for Senate, he signed a ban on fracking. He signed a pledge to ban fracking. <laughs> All of a sudden, I've never been against fracking. I've never been against fracking. What's her face down in, in Georgia? Help me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> who's running for governor. And yes. I just completely blanked out her name. But, oh, I have never, ever, ever once stated that I want to defund the police. The next actual that they that they play on the radio is I do support defunding the police <laughs> from like a year ago. You know, a yeah, year ago. I, I know. It, it's just. And so when you look at go, people think 80 percent of the people think the country's out of control. Right. It's real easy to see why these knuckleheads are going to get elected. Right. I mean, maybe not those two, right. but we will have plenty of knuckleheads get elected. Right. They will say one thing and six months later, say the complete opposite and deny they ever said the thing they said. Right. There's uh, no character. There's character and integrity no is integrity. not part of the, the value set. No, right? it's, it's not. And that reflects not on those politicians, not on the media, not on those celebrities. It reflects on us. That's that's really where the reflection is. It reflects on us because we keep reelecting them. We elect these people. We buy these people's music. We watch these people's films or whatever it may be. We turn on that cable news or whatever it may be, even though we know they're they're lying to us and we keep doing it. We have choices, but we don't make those choices. Exercise them. We don't exercise those choices. By the way, just so you know, or everybody listening knows, I, I don't watch television news. I've watched 
twice in the last 10 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I turned on television news once when the, the terrorist attacks were occurring live in Paris. Yeah. I turned on to watch that. And election night 2016, when it got late enough, I, I wasn't even saying it was TV, but I turned the TV on so I could hear the election results. Okay. But I wasn't even in the room, but I just wanted to hear the results, right? Because <laughs> um, they were getting them more quickly than the websites were. But yeah, I mean, I, I read my news. And the reason I read my news, I try to be thoughtful about what I'm reading. Right. Right. Go, is this true? Is this way. not true? What's this really mean? What, what, what are they not telling me? I, whether it's reading an article, reading a book, watching the television, listening to the radio, as I alluded to earlier, I, have, I end up having a conversation with whatever <laughs> source it is that oftentimes it's out loud. I live alone. So it's just the cats looking at me funny going, why are you talking, mommy? And <laughs> but that's what I do. I do yell back at the television. I do not, I cannot stand to watch MSNBC, you know, or some of the others. It's very, very tough for me. I often have trouble watching Fox at times. And, and there are certain, certain shows I'm just like, I'm not going to even try, yeah. you know, because I will end up having a shouting match with this person on the television and they're not participating the way that they ought to be. So <laughs> it's not helpful. Well, I'll tell you, t television news is not intended to make you thoughtful. It's intended to elicit an emotional response. True. That's 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 what well, it is. And and written news is much the same. Well, yes, it is much Quick of the bait. written news. Yes, it's it's intended to generate Internet clicks because they sell advertising by Internet clicks. Exactly. And so it's not meant to inform you. It's not meant to help you be thoughtful or knowledgeable or right. anything like that. So thus this podcast yes. in, in a lot of ways. I mean, this is not something critical thinking is not something a lot of us really got a lot of training in. Uh, in school, you know, and, and uh, you know, I've gone out to deliberately seek out that training in part because of what I do for a living and in part just because I want to think better. Yeah. You know, I don't want to be a pawn of the news or advertisers or, you know, people making movies or whatever. I don't want to be a pawn. I want right. to be able to have an articulated rationale for what I believe, why I believe it, and be able to to then, you know, read these sources and, and understand. And so hopefully we'll be able to help provide some of that service to to the people who are listening to help them as well into how do you how do you kind of break down what it is that's going on and and be able to not just react emotionally but to react thoughtfully and understand yes. okay i see where this fits in the framework i see where this where this follows from our basic premise that you know they're seeking utopia they'll say and do anything to get there and be able to understand that and you know starting from that that basic vision it, you know being able to to articulate and, um, you know, bring to light some of this thought process. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same token, if we could encourage people via this podcast to be thoughtful, that's the entire point. Mm -hmm. Right. Be thoughtful. <laughs> that would be a success and, and, in my and, book. Yeah. If people disagree with what I have to say, I'm perfectly fine with that. Just be thoughtful about it. Just right. don't disagree premised on bullshit. Right. right. I mean, this is it. Right. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, here's what we've lost in our society. Somewhere. I would say starting around the year 2000, somewhere it became societally incorrect to say the words, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Right. Right. Nobody says that anymore. 
they just double and triple and quadruple down to the most absurd things. Exactly. Rather than just say, oh, I was wrong about that. Yep. Yep. You're right. I'm sorry. You know, it's uh, God, I don't know why I, why I was thinking oh, that, I, I, I really I, I, love I, your argument. Yeah. 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 Something it's like, like oh, yeah, I was just wrong about that. More information came forth and I realized I was wrong or whatever it may be. But we just don't do that anymore. And uh, part of that is no, no doubt the age of the internet, the age of social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could take Twitter in about five minute doses. And I <laughs> feel like I need to go you know, take a shower or something. <laughs> it's, it's just vile. I, I haven't been on Twitter for years. Years I haven't been on Twitter. And then Elon Musk buys it. I'm like, okay, well, let's go check it out. See what's see what's going on. And yeah, about five minute doses is all I can take. It yeah, and that's it. That's the I, I hesitate to call it this at this point. He's only you know been in control of it a, a short time, but it's the kinder, gentler Twitter. <laughs> so I need more than 240 characters to have a conversation with somebody. Well, I, I really yeah, Twitter is made for calling people names. That's pretty much its only purpose, really. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much what it has become. And I'll be honest, with Twitter, there's some people I follow on Twitter because they're really smart. Yeah. And they really know, you know, they, they, they bring some special insight, knowledge, experience to the table on certain issues. And Absolutely. You know, it's not even that you agree with them all the time, but you absolutely want to know what they're saying because, you know, they're smart people. Right. And then there's everybody else. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. What I'm learning is to not scroll to the comments below whatever got tweeted. Yeah. That's in my feed. That, I'm slow to the party on that, but do not look at those comments because it'll just make you angry. You'll want to throw your computer across the room. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you are listening to Cowgirls and Beer. I'm Christina Cook. I've Cowgirls got. Cowgirls and Indians. Car girls. Cow, cow, cow girls and Indians. I even got yeah, the name of the beer. podcast wrong. I was thinking about beer. This is Cowgirls and Indians. I am the cowgirl, Christina Cook. We've got my co-host, Keith Nobles, who is the Indian. And we are drinking beer. So today is a Wind River Dunkel. It's locally brewed. Very, very, very good stuff. And I need a refill. So we're going to take a break and uh, we'll be right back. So Stacey Abrams is the name I was trying to think of. Yes. Just remembered it. <laughs> so, so we've been we've been talking a lot about what's going wrong. And, and I think I alluded to this earlier. You're a lot more optimistic about all this than I am. Yes. T- talk to me about that. I mean, what you know, what what tells you that this isn't it? This isn't the end of everything. You know, as we know, the U.S. is never going to recover from this. The United States has been in much tougher spots than this. The, the revolution. The Civil War, right? Great Depression, World War II. We we tend to look back in history, and most people's view of history is pretty casual. Fair, right? If, if you look back at what people actually were saying and believing and doing in those times, you go, "Wow, were they batshit crazy?" They were. Okay, and we're just just about as batshit crazy now. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, people say things that ultimately just became indefensible and believe things that would just ultimately become indefensible. Okay. Like what? I mean, what, what are you... Well, you know, all the full science around slavery. Right. That African skulls were created were different. Hence, their brains were different. Hence, I mean, you know, all sorts of... It all just fell apart. Crazy things. Right. People believed and scientists believed and doctors believed and... Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, there's just endless amounts of things people would, would say and believe were true because, you know, the one thing we always get to. And, and you know, it's the American Revolution, American Civil War, 
Great Depression, World War II. And now we're all pretty evenly spaced. It's an interesting point. Yes, yes. That's because history does not repeat, but human nature repeats. Right. And it really is true that generations do tend to go in these cycles. And you get a generation where things are easy. Right. Things are prosperous. Right. Things are peaceful. Usually because their parents went through times that were not. Exactly. Or their grandparents did. Right. Right. But yes. And and what happens is uh, they tend to go out and create their own drama. <laughs> right. We, we very much have become a nation of drama queens. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not just a Democrat thing. That's a Republican thing. <laughs> We're we're not lacking drama queens anywhere, right? <laughs> People suppose. think it's you know it's gonna be. That's one of those human nature things. It is one of those human nature really things. Is. Everything is worse than what it probably really is if you look at it objectively. Right. Right. I mean, it's it's. I mean, some people have a tendency towards towards negativity. Both sides of the aisle. Some people oh, are yeah. more positive. Both yeah. sides of the aisle. Well, yeah, yeah. So yeah. That's, that's not necessarily correlated with with left or right. No, it's not at all. And and uh, we have always emerged from these previous events mm-hmm. better than we went into them. Right. Right. I mean. And again, I'll make the point, right? It was always decentralizing. It was always advancing liberty. And I'm confident what's going to happen here to, to get us out of this. It's, it's not It's not only just decentralizing. It's relegating government back into the box it belongs in, yeah. I mean, which is, which is uh, you know, that, that role of protecting rights. That's it. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it, what it needs to boil down to. The more the government tries to do, the more that the citizenry demands of government, the worse our lives all get. Right. And and the worse our lives get, the more they demand. Right. Right. I mean, that's the cycle. People get to understand, stop demanding (laughs) and your life will get better. Government isn't Santa Claus. I mean, this is just history. Yeah. Right. Stop demanding government fix your personal problems and your personal problems will get fixed pretty quickly. This point has been made many times over decades. If you want a problem fixed, do not ever give it to the government to fix. Because government has zero incentive to fix any problem. They have every incentive to continue the problem. And make it worse. Yes. Right? That bureaucrat's job, if he solves that problem, he's out of a job. Right? His incentive is to keep that problem going. And his path to advancement and bigger budgets and pay raises is to make that problem worse. Government is not incentivized to fix any problem. Well, that's why the problem of human nature is such a lucrative one for politicians on the left, right? Well, exactly. Is you know because you're not going to solve human nature, but they keep demanding that the politicians come in and solve human nature. Yes. So yes, there, I'll, I'll there tell you, you this is um, Walter Williams, one of my favorites. Yes, passed away not too long ago. Economics professor. But I remember uh, hearing him point out once, 1920, and for those who don't know, Walter Williams was a black man, okay? Walter Williams pointed out once that, well, probably more than once, but once that I heard that 1920 was probably about the height of Jim Crow in the United States. Right. Right. I mean, legalized Jim Crow, right? In 1920, compared to now, a black man was less likely to go to prison. He was less likely to have been born out of wedlock. Right. He was more likely to be employed. He was more likely to be married. 
He was more likely to own a home, but he was more likely to own a business at the height of Jim Crow than he is today, right? And of course, the argument there is not a defense of Jim Crow. Jim Crow is horrible and evil and was wrong. What it is, is what we've done since then is worse than Jim Crow, right? The welfare state trying to inject government into solving problems for these people when the bureaucrats have no incentive to actually solve the problem and every incentive to make the problem worse, guess what? The problems have gotten worse. Absolutely. Right? I mean, it's just, it's just the best example I know of that, that the discrimination of the evil of Jim Crow, black men were more successful right. than they are under the welfare state. Put another way, uh, that community was better able to withstand the problems of Jim Crow than they've been able to withstand <laughs> the solution to Jim Crow. Exactly. Yeah. And the solution to Jim Crow should have just been liberty. Exactly. Not a welfare state that provided financial reward for behavior that would destroy a community. And that behavior is to destroy the institutions in that community, the yes. family, the churches, exactly. uh, the, the community, the, the culture, the, exactly. the traditions. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's just the perfect example, right? So the solution to our current problems is not some authoritarian figure who will fix them. Right. It's not... To continue down the path of ever more government solving ever more people's problems. Right. It's just to decentralize the power, especially away from Washington, <laughs> out to states and communities to do what they may need to do. Federalism. Yeah. Yeah. Very important and to this. Yeah, exactly. And expand liberty. You expand people's freedom. You don't continue to reduce it. Right. Well, and, and if you look at it, step back three steps and, and look at it at a larger scale, we've got um, the idea of universal basic income. We've got the idea of, you know, socialized medicine and, you know, the destruction of the, of the nuclear family, really trying hard to do that for everyone, not just one community. Now they're trying it for everyone. Yes. And... That tells me that a couple of things. First of all, they think that the welfare state and the things that they've done for the black community are a resounding success and they want to expand that out to the rest of everybody. Yeah. Uh, and two, they really don't care about our institutions or, or our thriving. All they care about is conformity. Well, actually, they, they don't care about the people. No, they, they don't care at all. They never have. No, 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 they, they, they never have. Right. And we're back to the whole thing of, well, we just haven't done enough of it. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> well, hold on here. We've done this for a really progressive country, really starting with Woodrow Wilson. It's not yeah. been a linear line, right? It, it, you know, Wilson, FDR, Johnson, Nixon. Nixon was progressive, though he was a Republican. Yeah. And, and then, you know, Obama and, and now Biden. Right. It's, it's all the same. Philosophy. If there was evidence that this was really helping, we would have it by now. But as I mentioned before, right, you look at all social pathologies, addiction, and suicide, mental illness, and right. these things are going up, not down. Right. Right. So when, when, when does your program kick in and, and people actually start to thrive? Well, and the thing is, is that the, the, like the Obama, the, the Obama years, Biden years now, they're skating off of Reagan and Clinton. I mean, I have to I have to give him the one thing that that man did well is keep his hands off of everything. Well, um, uh, and he was kind of forced to yeah, <laughs> by, well, by, by other than the interns. Right. <laughs> I can't even believe I said that. I did, that was not intentional. I would have he kept his hands off of the economy. It was really more what I meant. <laughs> but anyway, and even 
you know, even though the end of the Bush era obviously resulted in you know, some pretty bad financial stuff, we still had a, a level of prosperity up to that point that gave us the foundation to be able to get out of the 2008 recession. And, you know, so these guys are really skating on all of that. There's they're skating, especially on Reagan and, and you know, the, those years that really built up our infrastructure and our, our financial infrastructure so that we could withstand some of these hits that they keep putting at us. And then they call themselves successful. Yeah. So let me suggest though, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton changed, he switched directions 180 degrees okay. when Republicans took Congress. Exactly. He had to. I mean, his first two years, and the reason there was that red wave, I remember that night very well. You had a whole series of things happen. You had the assault weapons ban right. passed. Hillary had been put in charge of designing a single payer healthcare system. Right. Right. You had. Not too many people. I mean, I'm 60 years old. Not too many people younger than me will remember Dan Rostenkowski. I remember the name. Help me. Dan Rostenkowski was a congressman, Democrat from Chicago, who he was chair of the House Ways and Means Committee. So other than the speaker, he was probably the most powerful man in the House. Okay. And uh, he got caught with doing a number of corrupt things, which the pettiest was uh, making money off his franking privileges, <laughs> right? It was just tacky <laughs> stuff. And then right after that, you had Jim Wright, who was Speaker of the House. Right. He was the Democrat from Texas. And he had to resign as Speaker because he, he accepted a bribe. Basically, he had published a book that was just a compilation of speeches he had given over the years. And I don't know, like maybe 60,000 copies of the book or something published. Okay. With a single buyer. So he published this book <laughs> for one person to purchase. <laughs> it was just a bribe. That's all it was, right? It was just a bribe. It wasn't like you could go to Barnes and Noble and buy his book off the bookshelf. <laughs> all the copies were bought by one party. Oh, okay. And he got all the money. It was, yeah, it was just a bribe. But, but these things, that, that's what was happening. In that two years. Right. The first two years of Bill Clinton. And then you had, I remember this well, I was elk hunting the night of that election. Okay. I was near Parachute, Colorado. I was out in the mountains with a number of other scattered camps of elk hunters. And we'd all been hunting all day. And we came back and we turned on our transistor radios. And <laughs> it was just whooping and hollering throughout the mountains. Really? Yes. As those election results came in. Right. But we are we going to see? I think by 2024, we will see a very similar thing again in this okay. country. But we will probably see in 2024 a Republican president to go with that. Because I, I, it's pretty clear, right? These progressive policies produce misery, poverty, and death. And I don't think Joe Biden is not be convincing anybody of anything else. Well, but what about the ones who are just completely drank the Kool Aid and there's no no convincing needed? Well, they'll they'll wear masks, they'll get eight shots in their arms and drop dead of a heart attack and do whatever it is that the government tells them to do and send their kids to drag queen Queen Story Hour and CRT reeducation camp and I mean, so those people are still a pretty much very distinct minority. And when they think the culture, when people perceive that the culture is moving that way, people will kind of tag along. When it becomes clear, their ideas are just horrifically bad. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really becoming clear. Then people don't want to be associated with that. I sure hope not. No, they don't. I mean, you're talking about like uh, things happening in schools. Right. I heard... Uh, I was up in the mountains camping yesterday. <laughs> I'm shocked. Yeah. I'm shocked. You yeah. so rarely go. <laughs> 
and I was listening to the radio and uh, they had a lady on the radio and she was talking about her. I don't recall well, the child was very small, five, six, seven years old in school. And the teacher said, well, you don't have to be a boy to be a boy or be a girl to be a girl. You can decide which one you want to be and ask all the kids to stand up and say what they wanted to be. I mean, these are tiny children, right? So regardless of what you think about that, if that has value or not. Right. This was in Denver. Denver Public Schools, Black and Hispanic students, third graders, 10% read at grade or 5% read at grade level. Chicago's 10%. So it's like, wait a minute. Why are we spending any time on this? Exactly. Why, why are these kids learning to read and write and do mathematics if, I mean, they're failing horribly right. on this. Right. And I've talked to teachers about that and they say, well, there's cultural problems, blah, blah, blah. I do not believe only 5% of the Black and Hispanic parents in Denver care if their children can read. I'm sure that it's much closer to 100%. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. And so, which kind of brings us around to, you know, there's so many topics here oh. <laughs> you can talk about. You know, progressives have redefined the word racism to mean a disparity of outcome, not actual discrimination, not even among actual other, dislike. But Among other definitions they've attached to it, like, I don't agree with you, so therefore you're a racist. Well, but, yeah. um, but, but disparity of outcome. But if, if children, if black and Hispanic children, third graders in Denver public schools only read uh, only 10% or 5% read at grade level. Right. That is going to 10, 15, 20 years now produce an enormous disparity. Absolutely. Right. So they will then blame that disparity on racism, not on the fact that public schools failed to teach these children to read. But the, the, the counter argument to that, let me make it, is, well, we're not investing enough in our schools in those neighborhoods. We need to pay more money to Denver public schools or insert school district here in order to make sure that we can have the resources to teach these kids how to read and do math. Over the course of my career, I've held some pretty responsible positions in small companies, startups, and very large corporations. I've had hundreds of people work for me in my organizations over decades. And I can tell you right now, I never once had somebody who thought they had the balls to come tell me, I'll do a better job if you pay me more. <laughs> right? If you can't do the job... And what you're getting paid, why would somebody give you more money not to do the job? Well, there's that. <laughs> right? I mean, no, that's it, right? I mean, the question isn't, do we pay teachers too little or too much? We pay good teachers probably far too little. But these bad teachers shouldn't be employed at all. No. Right? And, and there you have it, right? If, if children are reading, you know, 5 or 10% of them at grade level, okay, I, I guess I can make an argument 5 or 10, 10% of those teachers should be employed. But the rest of them just shouldn't be. Right. But you can't do that with the present union system. And it makes a very compelling argument to get rid of public schools. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's, um, first of all, it's a huge argument for a voucher system, have the money follow the kid. Yes. Competition makes everything better. Yes. Always. Yes. Everywhere and always. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a, that is just a basic natural fact. You know, from Darwin on out, you know, let's, let's just talk about how that works. And, and competition always brings those traits that serve whatever purpose is necessary to the forefront as the most valuable. Yes. So that is a huge argument. If you really care about these kids in all of these neighborhoods, then make sure that they have a choice to go to a school where they can get an education that's going to allow them to compete yes. without having to have, you know, affirmative action or, you know, special special compensation or 
to have that disparity of outcome. That well, they well not just that. So, so they don't have to live in poverty. Well, I mean, if you if you absolutely. can't if you can't read, that's a given. Yeah, right. That's just almost certainly where you will end up. Right. Unless you find some other really unique talent you have, athletics or music or right. Right. If you can't read well, you're not going to do well in life. Absolutely. And so. Regardless of all this other stuff school's teaching, why are any of these people still employed if only 5% of those kids are reading to grade level? Well, that's a damn good question. Yeah. And it, I mean, it kind of, that's kind of how I feel about nearly all of the quote unquote, air quotes, experts yeah. who are supposed to be out there running our lives because they know so much better than we do. Right. Their effects are about the same as what you're citing is happening in DPS. It's almost exactly the same level of competence that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We're paying tremendous amounts of money for government employees mm-hmm. not to do, who can't do their jobs. Right. And even if they could do their jobs, most of those cases, we will want them to anyway. Right. Go away. Right? The job doesn't need to exist. Exactly. Not so much that, that the person needs to be switched out, just that the job needs to go away <laughs> entirely. Exactly. <laughs> so we uh, think some large parts of progressives. We cannot have an honest conversation about things like education. Right. Right. And, and without a hint of irony or self-awareness, if you say we need voucher systems because only 5% of the black and Hispanic students never can read. They're a racist. Exactly. Yes. But wait a minute. But I want these <laughs> children to be able to read. Right. I want them to be well-educated. Right. 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 You're the one defending the system that's failing to do that. Right. But right? That the, the charge never has to make sense. That's the thing. The charge never, ever, ever, ever has to make sense. You're a white supremacist if you even utter the word Hispanic or black. You're just, that's just the way it goes. Yeah. And it doesn't matter actually what color your own skin is <laughs> if you utter those words. No, no, exactly right. I, it's, it's, it's pathetic. It's to me, it's scary. Um, I, I will hopefully learn to be optimistic as we go along. <laughs> you can, you can help me be more optimistic. I want people to understand exactly what it is that we're looking at here. And yeah. I want people to understand exactly what it is that, that is the, the mindset that underlies the stories that you see on the nightly news, the things that you hear coming out of politicians' mouths, the, the headlines that you read in any newspaper, whether it's the po- Washington Post or the Denver Post or the Wall Street Journal or right. the New York Post. You know, I mean, it, it's, you need to understand what these headlines mean. And I think that you and I have a way of hopefully getting people to that. So, Keith, thank you so much for being here with being my co-host. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for asking me. You bet. And good beer, right? Yeah, good beer. There you go. So yeah, keep bringing beer. And I'll keep doing it. Hey, I'll keep bringing beer. <laughs> I, I know where to find it now. So this is pretty cool. So. Thank you for joining us today. This has been Cowgirls and Indians. Again, I'm not really a cowgirl, but I'm going to keep that because it's kind of cool. Sounds good. (laughs) And uh, we're really glad that you joined us. We're hoping that we'll be putting out one of these a week. So just continue to tune in and and, uh, let us know in the comments below what you think. Thanks so much. Have a great day. 